Good morning. Let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to come before you this morning. Thank you for this time that we can get together and hear about what you've done for us, what you did on the cross. Lord God, I want to thank you that you are God, and your ways are perfect, and your plan is perfect, and your love is perfect, and your justice is perfect. Thank you, Lord God. I I just so grateful that you won't let wickedness reign. I thank you, Lord God, that you won't have sin be the end of our stories. And I thank you that you paid for it with your own son. As we dig into your word today, I pray that nothing that I say will distract us from the truth of who you are. That you will, Holy Spirit, move in us to teach us according to your good pleasure about the Passover. May you get all the glory in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So... um, John has been taking us through Hebrew chapter 11. We're in Hebrew chapter 11 to begin with this morning. Um, Hebrews chapter 11, as you know, is the story of the heroes of the faith. And we've been talking about Moses. And this morning we're talking about Hebrews chapter 11, verse 28, talking about Moses. It says, By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. And um, as I was thinking about this, it just seems like such a strange thing to me, this, this passage, this, by faith, he kept the Passover and he sprinkled the blood so he wouldn't get killed. It, it's just seems like, how, how does that do anything? What does that mean? How can that possibly be what faith is because I don't know about any of you but I think faith is kind of tough any of you guys have a hard time with faith two of you awesome (laughs) I think faith is tough and uh, as I look at Moses and what he had just gone through when he exercised this faith I think I can start to understand what faith might mean I mean If I went through the things he went through prior to this, I might have been hiding in the hills instead of still in the fray. Today is Palm Sunday. On Palm Sunday, we discuss the event in Christ's life in which he came into Jerusalem on the donkey's colt or whatever that, whatever donkey, a beast of burden. Um, And the people cast their cloaks in front of the the donkey as he came in and they cast palm fronds on the ground because they were celebrating the king. And we often have heard the story about the colt and how that really was a symbol of humility that Christ would ride in on a beast of burden instead of on like a white stallion. He certainly owns all the white stallions in the universe, so he probably could have rode one in, but that's not what he did. He humbled himself, and he came into Jerusalem, and 
they celebrated him as the coming Messiah. And during the week of uh, Passover that year, Jesus did some amazing things. Um, When he got into Jerusalem, he went into the temple and he cleansed the temple. He went in there and he turned over the tables of the money changers. Um, Which, I mean, if you think about that very act, there's, there's temple guards in there. Like, how did he get so much power to do that thing? It's an amazing thing to think you go into a big church and you turn over all the tables in the foyer where the money of the church is sitting and nobody does anything. And during that time, the children were coming in there and he was talking to them and they, they rebuked. Jesus, because they kept saying that he was the son of David. And he explained to them, yes, I am the son of David. I am am the physical heir of the throne of David. But if you'll recall, David said that he would say to his Lord the truth of who Jesus is. And so Jesus proclaimed himself to be David's Lord, which could only be interpreted to be understood that Jesus said that he's God. And the, this is why they hated him so much. Because he kept saying things like this. And he kept saying things that challenged everything that they believed but were clearly true. And even when he did that, they didn't do anything. He was there doing that throughout the week. He told parables. He explained end times prophecies. He um, healed people. And he did all these things during the week after he came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Which brings us up to the story of Passover. On Thursday, he sent his disciples into town to get a place for them to celebrate the Passover. So what's the Passover? I mean, I think we all probably have an idea what the Passover is. But in trying to think about it today, I want us to really dig into what the Passover really meant And for that reason, I want to talk about the plagues that occurred in Egypt leading up to the Passover. And I think that we all probably have heard about the plagues. We've probably read it a time or two. If we ever went to Sunday school as children, we probably heard the story of the Passover. But I wonder if we've ever really stopped and thought about the reality of the plagues that occurred in Egypt. Have you ever put yourself in your imagination, in the place of those who experienced the plagues in Egypt. I don't think we even think of these things as though they really happened. I think they're just a story we read, and it can get that way, and we don't think about what was really going on. And so I want to set the stage for us. If you think about Moses' life, last week John told us that because he considered the rebuke of being associated with Christ of greater value than the wealth of Egypt. And so he left Egypt and he went out into the wilderness. I don't think we even think about like what the wilderness was. We in this area like to wear t-shirts that say, I love the wilderness. But you die in the wilderness. That's why it's called wilderness. It's wilderness. And it's, I know we have cars and stuff, but they didn't. And going into the wilderness meant probably death and painfully death. And there was no 7-Elevens. Oh, wait, those are a long time. I just dated myself. (laughs) 
So he went out in the wilderness, and now he's an old man, and God says to him, Hey, Moses, I want you to go back and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses said, Cool, I'll do that. And he went back. No problem. Right now, he, it was a big deal what he was doing. This is real. It really happened, and you can see it in the way the story is told. Moses tells about all of his fear. Liars don't write stories about how they were a jerk. And he's telling about how terrifying this was and about what he was facing going in there. And, and so he goes on back to Egypt and he goes before the king of Egypt, Pharaoh. A scary guy could order him killed like that. And he's going to tell him to let his slaves go. This is really a big deal. And please don't forget, it's slaves. It's Lack of freedom, it's, there's symbolism here too. He's acting out the reality that we're dealing with today. And these people are enslaved and he goes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And of course, Pharaoh says, who's this God? I, why would I believe him? I'm not going to do it. And if you go with me to chapter 7 of Exodus, we'll dig into it. We're going to suffer through some of these plagues this morning. In chapter 7, verse 14, we see that the plague, the first plague that he brings is the plague of blood. And I want you to think about this as though you're there and you, and you know that this happens. And here's Moses, and he has to go tell Pharaoh, Hey, Pharaoh, let, my people, let God's people go, or I'm going to turn all the water in the Nile and all the water around in the pools, and all the waters, even in the wooden bowls that have water in them, it's going to turn to blood if you don't let us go. And i got to tell you, I, the more that I do this, the more that I get the chance to give a message like this, I mean, there's nothing I'd rather do than this. But it gets harder and harder every time as I come to know who the living God is. It becomes very difficult to stand up here and tell you something about God. And imagine Moses saying, I'm going to turn all the water into blood. The weight of that. The weight on Moses to say, this God who's, in whose presence I need to remove my shoes. Okay, here we go. And he tells him, I'm going to turn all this water into blood. And it happens. I mean, I think that probably I'd be like, okay, it's over, you win. I, you, you can leave. All of you go. God is God and the, the water is blood. I mean, the, have you ever seen a river of blood? A river full of blood with all the dead fish and you can't, they had nothing to drink. They were digging holes in the ground to try to find water that didn't have blood. And that's just the first plague. It goes on and it says that after that, the magicians did some magic tricks and Pharaoh didn't believe and he didn't let the people go. So God sent the second plague, which was frogs. I can remember as a child thinking, well, why would that be bad? I love frogs. <laughs> um, but imagine frogs everywhere you go. Frogs in your dishes. Frogs in your pantry. Frogs in the dough where you're making your bread. Frogs in your cake. Nobody wants frogs in their cake. Right? And I'm making light, but think about this. It's a plague. 
And when the, then all the frogs died and they had to burn them like the whole country is burning with dead frogs. It's gross. And, and this really happened and Moses had to really do this. He had to tell them, a plague is coming. If you don't let us go, frogs are going to come all over the land. Exactly. Thank you. Could not have chosen a better time for that. <clears throat> the third plague is gnats. Have you guys ever been anywhere where there were lots of gnats? When I was a kid, we used to heat with firewood because my dad's mean. Um, no, I'm just kidding. He's here. I had to throw that in there for his benefit. <clears throat> So we would go down to the beautiful forests of central Pennsylvania, oakwood forests, and we would cut down oak trees and carry them to the road and load them in the truck. And it was hard, hot work. And oak, I don't know if you've ever cut an oak tree down, but they're way heavier than a pine tree. They're really heavy. And the ground in these woods was beautiful. It was all covered in these green ferns and the rocks had moss on them. They have water in Pennsylvania and it's beautiful forests. And you walk through those ferns to get to the trees and the gnats just swarm you like no business. And I think every time I think of this, I think of that. You're, you're cutting the firewood and the gnat flies in your mouth and you're like, you know, have you done that? Have you guys ever had the gnat fly in your mouth? That's what really happened here though. This is a plague of gnats. The dust, it says he hit the dust and the dust swarmed up and made gnats across the whole land. And then the next one is flies were everywhere. I mean, do you ever have like a Sunday? You're sitting at Dairy Queen and you're like got your Sunday and a fly lands on it. And it's like, oh, well, now imagine thousands and millions of flies. And these are the plagues that are coming and God is telling them, let my people go. Look at who I am. Only God could do these things. Clearly, this isn't just something that happens. And they, they wouldn't believe. They had no faith. They thought they were the strength. And Pharaoh was like, too bad, I'm not doing it. And then it gets really tough. He says, let my people go or I'm going to kill all your livestock. This is a, I, I kind of put this in a, in a, like us losing all of our cars and all of our tractors and all of our trains and all of our trucks. Because their livestock was their entire livelihood. If they wanted food, they had to have the livestock. If they wanted to get anywhere, they had to have livestock. Livestock was everything. Imagine if there was no semis and no trains. We would all starve to death in a couple months. We don't grow food here. We don't have enough food to feed even all the people in Great Falls growing around Montana. I want you to think about this like this there's a real warning going on because they think a million calves died in the flooding in America this spring. A million. And it could drive up the price of meat really high. But how many of you are afraid you won't have any meat this summer? I mean, we all assume we can still Google Amazon and get meat and it'll come to our house, right? I mean, that's where we live and how we live. But the fact is, that this was a huge deal. He killed the livestock. And the livestock, have you ever been around a cow that's been dead for a few days? Stanky. 
I mean, it's nasty and horrible. And the land was covered and they just burned all these frogs and now they got these dead animals all over the place. And they do this and people still would not put their faith in God. They would not believe. Pharaoh would not relent and he would not let the people go. And the next plague is boils. And God said, okay, let my people go or I'm going to cause boils to come out on you. And you know, boils are bad. Have you ever had a boil? Imagine them all over your body. The pain of it. It Boils hurt. Like a zit is painful. And a boil is a zit on steroids. And I mean, it's just, it's a horrible thing to think of your whole body covered in boils. And I'm, I'm throwing in little jokes just because this could be the heaviest message I've ever even thought about. But the fact is, this is really, really, really hard stuff that God is doing. And He's doing it to these people. Because they worship other gods and their faith isn't in God and they won't let God's people go. Pharaoh won't let them go. The next plague is hail. Anybody ever have your car destroyed by hail? Yes, one person. I'm sure a bunch of you have. Now imagine your roof is grass and it hails like that. That's what the hail was like. Have you been caught out in it and it's hitting you and you're like, it hurts. And that's just little hail. And this was a hail that was a plague. And it came across the land and everything that hadn't been wiped out yet was wiped out. And these people have boils and they're, you know, this is a rough time. And Moses is telling them this. Moses is coming to them and he's saying, hey, if you don't let God's people go, the next thing that comes is going to be really bad. And he says, okay, boils, okay, hail. And the next plague is locusts. Have you ever seen a locust? That is the scariest looking bug there is, man. It got, it, they leave behind after they, I don't know, they shed this skin and it's like this plastic skin of a horror thing. Like it's, I think the movie Alien got its idea for its alien from a locust. And the, there's a swarm of these locusts that comes, a plague of them, and it wipes out everything that hasn't been wiped out yet, followed by darkness. I want you to imagine this. It says here, the ninth plague was darkness. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, we're in chapter, or verse 21 of chapter 10 in Exodus. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. A darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they were. I went splunking one time. I took a youth group with me. Notice I said one time. <laughs> you go into this cave, it's down by Sheridan. You go in, and right inside the cave, you got to get down on your belly and you got to belly crawl. And the, there's this hole you have to go through. It's about 30 or 40 feet long. And the whole time I'm going, I'm not a small person. And so the whole time I'm going, my back is scraping the rock roof of this hole. 
But I have all these youth kids, so I can't go, no way, I'm not going in there. And so I'm taking them in there, and we go through about five of these, and they're called wormholes. It's a really neat cave. So it has these wormholes, and then it opens into a big room, and then a wormhole, and then it opens into a big room. And, and it does that about five times. And then you go down this little cave hole that's a little bit bigger but not much wider and you go through and down through and there's a river and a waterfall and it's amazing and you get down in there and you're in this room that you shine your light everybody shines their lights there was about 13 of us shine our light at the ceiling and it's so high and so dark you can't see the ceiling in this cave and do you know that it's actually not dark it's no light See, the thing about your eyes is, in order to see, they have to conduct light. So when you're in a place that's totally devoid of light, your eyes are actually not seeing. It's not just not dark. It's not just dark. Your eyes aren't working. It feels weird. It's like this thing where it's so pitch black. And that's what this was like for three days. And I read this story about a guy in the Lewis and Clark Caverns when they were building them for the tourists. He got lost down in there for like time, like days, might even been a week. And when they found him, he was stark raving mad from, from being in the dark without light. There's even a thing I read about it that like because your eyes aren't conducting light, there's like, it does something to your brain. And he thought he was covered in bugs and stuff because he was down in there. And he wasn't, but he was sure. And it took him a long time to recover from this. He thought he was being crawled on with bugs. And here God goes... Look, I'm God, let my people go. And he makes it dark for three days. And still they didn't believe. And Pharaoh lied and said, yeah, I'll let him go. But then he didn't let him go. So why did God do all this? Why did he cause all these plagues? I mean, this is the God that you can go look down the street and there's a person with a bumper sticker that says God is Valentine Heart. And this is the God that is Valentine Heart. And he is killing their livestock and sending locusts on them and making it dark for three days and wiping them out. Why did he do this? Well, let's look why he did it. Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. It says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egypt, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Do you hear those things? Redeem you. Acts of judgment. Give you freedom. Keep those in your mind as we go forward. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. That's why he did it, to redeem his people, to free them from slavery, to let them know that he is God. And in chapter 9, verse 16, during the seventh plague, it says, But for this purpose I have raised you up. He's talking to Pharaoh. God's talking to Pharaoh. He says, To show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all of the earth. He did these things so the whole earth could know that he is God. Which is the most loving thing that he could possibly do. Because the only way to be delivered from the wrath of God is by God. 
And in order to be delivered from the wrath of God, you have to know God. And you have to put your faith in God. And he says, I want the whole earth to know. And let me ask you, where are we? We're in north central Montana, a few miles from Egypt. And several thousand years later. And this story is still telling us who God is. This is one of the most loving things ever done even though it seems like one of the most heinous things. And in chapter 11, verse 7, it says that he's telling them there, um, not a dog shall growl against any of, of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel, so that we, the whole earth, will know if you're not in Christ... You're in Egypt. If you don't want the wrath of God, you need the Lamb of God. The whole purpose of the plagues is to show us about the truth of who God is and that He's God. What did He do? He defied nature in every way. And then we get to the tenth plague. How do we even talk about this plague? How do we even begin to understand the weight of this plague. It says at midnight, verse 29 of chapter 12, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, and he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. When we think about this passage and about what God does, we often wonder, how can this be right? What is this? What is the significance of the firstborn? You know that Pharaoh thought he was God, right? But he knew he was going to die. So the firstborn was the carrying on of himself. It's how... They achieved immortality. In fact, a couple years ago, a friend of mine who's an atheist was telling me about life, and I asked him, why would we even want to live life? Like he, He was talking about why he wanted children. I said, why would we even want children? And he said, well, we want children innately because it's how we live forever. This lie that Pharaoh was living, we're still living with today in the sophisticated society of the United States of America. We still think that our children are our immortality. And God said, oh no, they're not. I am. And he killed all the firstborn of Egypt and then Pharaoh relented. And then Pharaoh said, okay, you win, you're God. I can't win. And the Passover is described here. That's, this brings us back to Luke chapter 22 where Jesus is going to eat the Passover with, with uh, His disciples. And we know that it's the Feast of the Unleavened Bread and the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So they went into town and this is like on Thursday night. Don't forget that. It's going to be important in a second when I come back around. And 
This Passover, it says, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I meet? The Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large room uh, furnished, prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he told them. And they prepared the Passover. So this Passover, if you go back to chapter 12 in Exodus, you'll see the intricacies of what he's doing. He says, in the, this will be the first month of the people of Israel. Then he says that on the 10th day, they have to take a lamb. The 10th day is Sunday, Palm Sunday. And then it says on the 14th day, they have to sacrifice it. And here we find Jesus on the 14th day eating the Passover with his disciples. And there's some question here, if you look into this, as to the Passover was on Friday the 15th or the, or the 14th. And as it turns out, the Galileans celebrated the Passover on the 14th. And the Judeans celebrated it on the 15th. And so on the 14th, Jesus ate the Passover lamb. And on the 15th, he was the Passover lamb. And it says here, this is where he establishes the Last Supper. Um, I don't want to leave this out just so you know. Clear back here in Egypt, he tells them that not a foreigner is allowed to eat it or whatever. And he says, it shall be eaten in one house. He's talking about the Passover lamb. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house and you shall not break any of its bones. So he's On the 10th day, get the lamb. On the 14th day, kill the lamb. Don't break any of its bones. How do you kill a lamb? Well, you probably break its neck. That's how you kill a chicken. I've done that. And here he's saying, don't break its lamb. And what do we we know about Jesus? None of his bones were broken. This story is the story of Jesus. And here he says... Um, In John chapter 5, he talks to the the Pharisees and he says, you search the scriptures for me, but you won't admit that they talk about me. And they say, well, what are you talking about? And he says, I'm not accusing you. It's Moses that accuses you. He actually tells them that. Moses is accusing you because you want to know who he was writing about? He was writing about me. Jesus says he was writing about me, about him. And we see this being played out right in front of us. Jesus didn't leave one thing done, undone in, in Exodus, and he didn't leave one thing do, undone at the Passover. And he gave him the Passover lamb. He says, um, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after you have eaten it, saying, This is the cup that is poured out for you. It is the new covenant in my blood. And just like they took the Passover lamb and they dipped the hyssop leaves in it and put the blood over the door of their home so that the lamb, so that the destroyer wouldn't come in and kill, if we don't want to be destroyed by the destroyer, we have to put our faith in the lamb. The terrifying nature of the plagues in Egypt are the terrifying nature of hell. 
They show how horrible it will be to be found in the wrath of God. And we think, wow, that seems kind of wrong. It seems kind of mean. It seems kind of horrible. What happens if God doesn't deal with sin? Sin will reign. Sin will be what the world is about forever. And he won't have it. He will redeem us. And he will destroy sin. And he sent his son to do it. And we look at this and we read of Moses having faith. And I wonder about us, do we have faith? I mean, even Jesus talked to them about faith. They did all these miracles and people still didn't believe. And Jesus did all these miracles. They still came to him and they said, hey, show us a sign. He'd been doing tons of signs. They didn't want to see Jesus. They wanted to see miracles and magic shows. What do you want to see? Do you want to see miracles and magic shows? What does Jesus have to do to convince us? Isn't his death on the cross enough? In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells a parable. The parable of the tares and the wheat. And the story is that the, the farmer had the field and he planted the, tar, he planted the wheat in the field. And when it came up, there were weeds in it. And he said, hey, um, the, his people wanted to go pull the weeds. And he said, don't pull the weeds because you'll tear up the wheat too. We'll wait until the end to pull up the weeds. And then we'll throw the weeds into the fire and the, we'll take the wheat into the barn. And this story is a story of the church. It's the story of the fact that there will be unbelievers in the church. There will be those that are not of Christ, and their future is the fire. And what Jesus says about hell is that their worm never dies, and fire is never extinguished. And God will punish the wrath. He will take His wrath out on sin Unless you're the wheat. And what's interesting to me is that we assume that when Jesus tells this parable, he's talking about other churches than ours. My friends, I'm not here to tell you, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad. I'm bad. I'm not here to tell you, hey, you don't believe right, and I do. Faith is hard. Faith is hard. But it's only one way. The Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 22, it says, verse 12, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root, the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Friends, this morning, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, I've never really believed this. 
I may have known it. I may have walked some of it. But man, this is really true and I don't know that I've ever really believed. Maybe I'm like Pharaoh. Maybe I'm still holding on even though I know I'm going to die. And I'm telling you, that doesn't have to be the end of the story. The Passover is the most beautiful thing that has ever happened. Jesus' blood paid the price. And you can put your faith in Him just like I did. And if you're sitting here and you want to do that, I'm going to go sit over here while the music's playing. You can come up. I'll visit with you. I'm sure there's some elders here that would visit with you. Don't leave today without doing business with the Passover lamb. Don't let this Easter season be wasted. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for your son, Jesus. I want to thank you for the Passover lamb. I want to thank you that all that is required is our faith in Christ. By faith alone, through grace alone. Lord, give us your grace today. Bring us into your kingdom and may you be glorified in us. In Jesus' name, amen.